as I've been thinking about Easter and the resurrection and what it means for me personally. You know how if Jesus didn't come back from the dead, then I, I really don't have faith. My faith is, is futile. And I just remember being uh, in Israel. I got to go there twice. And there's two different places where people say Jesus, you know, could have been buried and come back to life. One's the garden tomb, one's the holy sepulcher. But as I'm standing at, at those places, I'm just, I'm just kind of taken back and remembering the resurrection. And when I was in Israel, I would call Kristen when I was over there. And because of the time change, I would already be in the next day. I would already be in tomorrow. So in essence, when I would talk to her from Israel, I'd be like, this is Colby calling you from the future, right? And I could like tell her what was gonna happen. But I was thinking, how cool would that be if you and I had somebody in tomorrow that we could call that would tell us what tomorrow holds, what was gonna happen tomorrow. For example, if you knew that tomorrow she was gonna break up with your sorry rear end, you could go ahead and send the breakup text first to her and say back, gotcha, you know, you're not breaking up with me, I'm breaking up with you. That'd be nice, right? Or, or maybe uh, if you knew you weren't gonna win the contract, if, if another company was gonna outbid you, underbid you, whatever the case may be, you could make adjustments to the proposal today in order to land the deal Tomorrow, it would be nice to have someone you could call that's in tomorrow that could tell you what was gonna happen tomorrow or if you're a student. You know, wouldn't that be nice? Yes, this is, this is make-believe right now, but if you had someone that you could call that already took the test, that could tell you the answers to the test, it would be nice. In fact, I think it'd save us from a lot of heartache and, and headache if you could call someone in tomorrow that could tell you what was gonna happen. Some of you, you know, it could have saved you a lot of heartache from being a, a Cleveland Browns fan because they could have told you, don't do that, right? You shouldn't be a fan. I'm sorry, you don't need somebody to tell you uh, from the future not to be a Cleveland Browns. I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. But wouldn't that be nice, right, to have someone you could call? And here's why it would be nice. Because how many of you know sometimes life throws you a curveball? That sometimes you can get blindsided by stuff. And so you go to bed at night, wake up the next morning, right, only to get that phone call, the phone call that, that starts to, to make things unravel in your life. Or you go to bed at night, wake up the next day, go to work, only to find out that they're downsizing, and it's your job that's being cut. Wouldn't it be nice to have somebody you could call that, that, that would know that? Or, or you go to bed at night, wake up the next morning to, to discover that after 15 years of marriage, she says, I'm done, I don't love you anymore. He says, I'm, I'm out, this is over. It'd be nice to have someone you could call in tomorrow that could tell you what tomorrow holds. But I'll propose this to you today, that even if you had someone you could call that would tell you what was coming the next day, that just maybe the disappointment would be the same. That just maybe the, the hurt would be the same, the rejection would, would feel the same because whether or not you see hurt coming, how many of you know hurt still hurts, doesn't it? Like disappointment is still disappointment, pain is still, is still pain whether or not you, you saw it. In fact, even if you knew it was coming, uh, just knowing that bad news was around the corner, it could cloud your vision. And even though you know it's coming, things seem more overwhelming uh, at the time than they actually really were in hindsight, that whether or not you had someone you could call might not matter, you would still be hurt, you would still feel disappointment and pain and hopelessness, and I would like to propose that that's exactly where the followers of Jesus were on Easter Sunday morning, feeling dejected, 
feeling confused, feeling in pain and disappointment. You might be like, but Colby, Easter Sunday, right? Jesus is alive. He's risen. Aren't they excited? Aren't they happy about that? No. Easter Sunday morning, they were confused. They were broken. They were hopeless, wondering what was, what was happening. In fact, I have, a, I have a confession to make. It's hard being a pastor on Christmas and on Easter. And here's why. You come Easter perhaps wanting a fresh message, you know, a fresh take on the Easter story. But I got news for you. Um, every single year, he dies. Every single year, he's buried. And every single year, he comes back to life on the third day. It's the same story, right? Every Christmas, she gets pregnant. Every Christmas, it ain't his baby. It's, you know, it's God's baby. Every Christmas, you know, the, the angels come. Every Christmas, he's born in a manger. It's the same story every single year. So I've been praying hard this week that this year the Easter message would be different for you, that you would find a hope that is, that is real, that the Easter message would go from something that you know in your head to something that you actually experience in your heart, that the resurrection of Jesus wouldn't be just an event that happened, but it's something that is happening and can happen in your life. And I wanna share the Easter story with you from the Gospel of Mark. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 16. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, you should feel awkward. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that at all. I'm joking. If you don't have a Bible, you're going to have the biggest one of all because it's going to be right here behind me on the screen. But in Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 9, it says this, that after Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him, don't miss this, was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. Now, this is one of the reasons. In fact, I'll give you two. Two reasons that I believe in the resurrection and I believe Jesus is who he says he was because there were eyewitnesses, people who saw Jesus die and people who saw him come back to life, saw him alive and were willing to be murdered for what they saw. See, they were willing to die for that. A lot of people won't die for a lie. And a lot of people would say that, you know, well, the disciples hid the body. You know, they, they made this whole thing up. They went and took him from the tomb you know, stored him in someone's house, propped him up, played weekend at Bernie's with Jesus' body. That's not what happened. They were willing to die for what they saw, especially the way that they died. Crucified, some upside down, you know, stoned. Like the second reason I believe Jesus is who he says he was because what we just read, the first person to see him was a woman, was Mary. And if I was gonna fabricate a story during this day, I wouldn't have said that the first person on the scene was a woman because during this, this period in history, women didn't have a voice. It didn't matter what women said. In fact, they couldn't even use the, a woman's testimony in a court of law. So there's a couple reasons I believe that Jesus is who he says he was. And it says that Mary saw him with her own eyes, verse 10, then she went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. Afterward, he, Jesus, appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. They rushed back to tell the others, but also no one believed them either. Here's the picture. Easter Sunday morning, Jesus is alive. Mary sees him. Mary runs and finds all the other disciples and they're, 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 they're away you know, in someone's house and they're grieving and they're weeping and the Bible says they would not believe her. Again, because bad news can cloud your perspective. They wouldn't believe her. In fact, I, I think they didn't believe her because 
let's be honest, it sounded too good to be true after all, right? I mean, they'd watched him die. They'd seen him get crucified. They, they saw him get nailed to the cross. They saw, as the officials took his dead, lifeless body off of the cross, wrapped it in 100 pounds of burial spice, placed in an empty tomb, sealed with a stone. They saw him die, and now Mary's telling him he's alive. Come on, let's be real. It sounds too good to be true. So they didn't believe her. In fact, I think that that's where some of you are in this room today. When it comes to faith, when it comes to God, when it comes to what, what Jesus has done and what he wants to do in your life, Colby, this all sounds too good to be true. You're in the middle of it's too good to be true. It's too good to be true that God could restore my marriage. It's too good to be true. It's too good to be true that God could, could help me out of this financial pit that I find myself in. It's too good to be true that God could heal, heal my mom from, from cancer or from an illness or from my, my, heal my dad or someone in my family that I love. It sounds too good to be true. And when you're in the middle of the it's too good to be true, it's like, why even try? Right, that's where you find hopelessness. Why, why even bother? Why even worry? Why even believe? That's where the disciples were. This is too good to be true. Even if there was a resurrection, you might say, Colby, maybe the resurrection is a reality. It's not a reality for me personally. And again, that's my prayer, that today the resurrection goes from being this, this historical event to a personal experience where you understand what Jesus did for you and what he wants to do in and through you. So these guys were in the middle of it's too good to be true. And if I'm being honest, I don't blame them, right? I mean, after all, they've had a tough weekend when you think about it. Has anybody ever had a tough weekend in here? Come on, we've had some tough weekends. They had a tough weekend. Friday, they watched him die. The person they gave their life to follow, they watched him die, hung on a cross, beaten. Saturday, nothing. No movement, no indication, you know, that God was gonna raise him from the dead. Just nothing, it was just still, it was quiet. Sunday, you know, came around. It's Sunday morning, he's alive, but they don't know it yet. So they feel hopeless, dejected, that it's too good to be true. And so I don't fault any of you in this room for feeling the same way, that this is too good to be true. And here's why, because you've had some hard weekends too. You've had some Fridays. They call it Good Friday, but the followers of Jesus at this point in history would have thought it was anything but good. They call it Good Friday, but You've had some Fridays where you felt like something in your life was executed. You felt like a dream you had was killed. You felt like hope that you had was destroyed. And you've had some Fridays where you felt something die. You've had some Saturdays in your life, probably too many Saturdays for you to even count. Saturdays where you, you wondered if God was gonna do anything. You wondered if God was even gonna show up. Saturdays where you just sat there in hopelessness and thought, all this is too good to be true. But then some of you, Come on, some of you have had some Sundays where you've discovered that, that what, a, what a different Sunday makes in your life. And so I wanna take you on this journey from Friday to Saturday to Sunday. And I wanna do it in a text found in Luke that we just kind of read that alluded to it. The text that we read in Mark said that Jesus also appeared to two guys as they're walking on this road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's about seven mile journey and he just kind of shows up Behind them, well, the Gospel of Luke records the conversation that Jesus had with these two guys. Take a look at it with me, starting in verse 13. It says, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem, 
as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. They talked about, man, when Jesus got crucified, they were just talking about the whole deal, all the events, you know, that had happened. And it says, verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things, look who shows up. Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But I love this. God kept them from recognizing him. So Jesus rolls up on these two guys as they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and God somehow keeps Jesus' identity, you know, a secret from them. He keeps his identity in the dark. And I always wondered, how was that? How did that happen, right? Did Jesus put on a ball cap and some, some aviators, you know, or whatever? Just, you know, they didn't know it was Jesus. But Jesus walks up to these guys, and he engages them in a conversation. They don't know who he is, and I love this. Jesus says, what are you talking about? As if he didn't know. He said, what are you talking about? And I think that's funny because they were talking about the person that they were talking to. Like, have you ever had that happen to you before? I was in Panera a few years ago and I was wearing like an Elevate shirt or hoodie and some guy taps me on the shoulder. He's like, hey man, do you go to that church? And I was like, yeah, sometimes, you know, I do every now and then. I go. And he said this, he's like, I've heard some things about that church. I'm like, oh, yeah, tell me, what have you heard? And he said, well, I heard some stuff about the pastor. I heard that he's a little off. I heard that he's a little touched in the head. And I'm like, you have no idea. He is, absolutely. You don't know the half of it, right? And then he asked me this question. He's like, what do you think about the pastor? And I said, I personally don't like him. I go for the music. Anybody else? Come on, we go for the music. It's awesome. But it's funny that these guys were talking about the person that they were talking to, and they didn't even know it at the time. And so Jesus engages them in this conversation. He says, what are you discussing about so intently as you walk? And they stop short, don't miss this sadness, written across their faces. And then Cleopas replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened in the last few days. In other words, man, what planet are you from? That you don't know what, what, what's gone on. And I think that's funny too because they're, they're thinking that Jesus had his head in the sand when it's actually they are the ones who are in the dark as to who Jesus is and all that he knows. And some of you, it could be that you're the one in the dark to who he is. Like you think you have the facts. You are so certain of your situation that you are in the dark as to what Jesus wants to do in your life. And so these guys were walking along and Jesus is saying, you know, what had happened? You know, what happened? Tell me more. In fact, verse 19, he asks what things. I love that. He's just kind of egging them on, trying to get more from them. They said, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We read the Bible says that sadness was written all over their faces. Here's what Friday represents. Friday was a day of pain. Friday represents a day of pain. These guys were in deep pain. Uh, they had given their life to follow Jesus. They had given up families. They had left families. They had left careers. They had left comfort. They had left all this stuff to follow Jesus. And now they're like, what for? Like he's dead. He's gone. Friday represents a day of pain in their life. They had placed all of their 
their eggs in the, the Jesus basket, Easter pun intended, right? Like they had pushed all their chips to the center of the table saying, we are going all in with Jesus only to discover now he's dead and all hope is lost and they're confused, they're in pain, they're dejected. How many of you know when you put your hope in something and that something lets you down, it hurts, doesn't it? Maybe you put your hope in something that you thought was gonna bring a better tomorrow or a better future, but only to have the rug ripped out from underneath you, to have your legs cut off, that hurts. That's where these guys were. They had put their hope in something, and now they are in the pain of Friday. And if I had to guess, I believe there are some of you in this room, maybe you're out in the lobby in overflow right now, that that's exactly where you are. You're in the pain of Friday. Your Friday has lasted longer than a Friday. It's lasted, it's lasted maybe a, you've had a year of Fridays. Maybe you've had a lifetime of Fridays. I received a letter from, from someone who was in the Cambridge Springs Women's Correctional Facility this past week, 30-something pages long, telling me the story of her life. It broke my heart. She has had a lifetime of Fridays. You understand the pain of Friday. Maybe it's a physical pain. More than likely, it's an emotional pain where you feel like trust has been broken, maybe your spirit has been, been broken, someone has stabbed you in the back, maybe you lost hope in something or someone, you feel that emotional pain, maybe someone has spoken words over your life, like you're not good enough, you're never gonna amount to anything, you're a loser, you never do anything right. Maybe it's an emotional pain that you feel, and even though you're here on Easter weekend, here at church, right? Maybe you're putting on a, a good face and you're dressed nice, you're looking pretty fly for a white guy or a brown guy or a black guy, whatever, or a girl. Like you look good. Maybe you even pulled out an old church phrase out of the bag and did the whole, he is risen, he is risen indeed, whatever it was, you put on a show and while you might not have sadness written on your face, you have sadness written on your heart because you're in the pain of Friday and somebody here needs to understand that Jesus understands your pain. He understands the pain of Friday. It's obvious, isn't it, that he understands physical pain. I mean, you've seen the movie. You've heard the story. You, you've, you know about the crucifixion. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you've heard what has happened, how the, the Romans would, would strip him. The Romans, see, they perfected crucifixion. They didn't invent it, but they perfected it. And they stripped Jesus down. They tied him to a post. They took this cat of nine tails, which was a whip with nine leather straps coming off the end of it. And on the end of those straps, they would tie bone or glass or metal or rock, whatever they could find. And as they would whip someone, as they whipped Jesus with it, it would become embedded in his flesh. And so when they pulled it off, it would take pieces of flesh with it and rip it from his body, exposing organs, exposing blood. The crucifixion was, was bloody and gruesome. And I don't tell you that in some lame attempt to draw emotion, in some lame attempt to be dramatic. I tell you that because we have sanitized the Easter story. And the Easter story is anything but sanitized. It was bloody. It was gruesome. I mean, I couldn't, if I was there, I couldn't look at Jesus on the cross. I wouldn't have the stomach for it. And he endured that pain for a purpose. Colby, what was the purpose? I'm the purpose. You're the purpose. That he went through that pain for you. So Jesus understands the pain of Friday. He understands physical pain. But can I tell you, he also understands emotional pain. He understands what it is to be uh, rejected, hated, left alone, like, like 
pushed aside by, by those who he, he trusted the most. I mean, he understands uh, what it is to have a friend turn your back on you. In fact, he understands what it means to have someone seal your sentence of death with a kiss, a.k.a. Judas. He knows what it is to have someone that you love and pour your life and your heart and soul into the closest of the close, like Peter, deny you in the moments where you need it the most. See, Peter denied Jesus when he was challenged by a little girl the night they led him off to be crucified. He said, I don't know him. I don't stand with him. Jesus knows what it feels like to be rejected in those moments. See, he had, he had 72 disciples. Some of you are like, ah, I got you. You know, he only had 12. Actually, he had 72. You should read your Bible, all right? He had 72, but he had 12 that got all the airtime, 12 that got the, the Insta stories and Facebook posts and look at these guys, all that kind of stuff. But then he had three that were the closest of the close, Peter, James, and John. And every now and then Jesus would go, hey, Peter, James, and John, you come with me. I wanna show you some cool stuff. And Matthew would be like, can I come? And she's like, no, not this time. Judas would be like, can I go? And Jesus like, absolutely not. You stay here. I don't even like you. I don't even know why you're in this story. No, I'm just kidding. But he would pull those guys aside and they got to see some cool stuff like the, the Mount of Transfiguration. They got to be a part of the secret prayer team with Jesus in the garden. Jesus knows what it's like to have someone that you pour your heart and your soul into leave you hanging in the hour that you need it the most. I wonder if you have ever misinterpreted the strength of a relationship in your life where you've leaned on someone only to have them disappoint you in the hour you needed it the most. I say that because Jesus understands pain. He understands emotional pain. He understands your hurt. He knows what it's like to be hurt on a gut-wrenching, soul-shattering level. And he went through the pain of Friday so you and I would not have to stay stuck in our pain of Friday. In fact, at the end of our time together, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to invite Jesus into your Friday so he can lead you into Sunday. So get ready for that. Because I believe Jesus wants to lead some people into Sunday. If you keep reading in the story, Jesus is walking with these guys down this road, engaging them in a conversation. And then verse 21, they respond to Jesus. They say, uh, but we had hoped that Jesus, they still didn't know his identity. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel, but now it's been three days. Like it's three days and nothing's happened and we had hoped it was going to be him. You know, hope is an interesting thing. Hope is, a, is an expectation of a desired outcome, of something you want to happen in your life. And when you're hopeless, it means that, that what you are expecting to happen and what you are actually experiencing aren't lining up. And in that gap, you lose hope, don't you? For example, if you expected the marriage to last, you expected it to go the, the long haul, that the love was gonna last forever, but what you experienced and what you expected in that relationship didn't line up, so you lost hope. You expected, you know, to get out of the financial pit that you're in and you, you did some things you thought would work, but what you're experiencing and what you're expecting aren't lining up. You lose hope in that process. You expected to be in a different place in your job or in your career. You thought you'd be further along than you are right now, but what you expect and experience aren't matching up, so you lose hope in them. That's where these guys were. Their expectation wasn't meeting their experience, and so they, they were losing hope. Hopelessness is an interesting thing. When you're hopeless, it will cause you to get comfortable with your dysfunction. And what I mean by that is, is when you're hopeless, you'll say things like, like, why even try anymore? 
You been there? Why even bother? Like, why even worry? Why even care? Why even fight? Listen, some of you, you've lost your fight because you're hopeless. Because what you expected and what you're experiencing aren't lining up. You've lost your fight for your relationship. You've lost your fight for your purpose. You've lost your fight for hope. And if we can be honest, some of you have lost, lost hope in God. See, Saturday represented a day without hope. It was a day without hope. And I'll say this for you, because you're not gonna say it, because you might feel like God's gonna get mad at you, or you're not exactly sure if you should, should verbalize it. So let me verbalize what you are thinking. Some of you had an expectation of God and what God would do and what God should do in your life. And because he didn't uh, meet your expectation, you've lost hope in him. You've lost faith in him. In fact, let's just be honest. You are downright mad at God. You are angry at God. You prayed a prayer and you prayed and prayed and prayed for God to do something that he didn't do the way you thought he should do it. And because he didn't do it, you've lost hope in him. Like you, you had great faith that God was gonna move in your life and because he didn't move the way you thought he should move in your life, you've lost hope in him. When your expectation experience of God didn't match up, you lose hope. But there's a, there's a problem with that. There's a, there, there's a challenge to that. And here's, here's what it is. This is for somebody. I want you to all locate your pulse right now. Locate your pulse right under your thumb, you know, on your wrist. If you know where it is, go ahead and do it right now. Right now, you feel it? You feel it? You got it. If you don't have a pulse, uh, you should raise your hand and we'll get you some help quickly. You feel that? When we don't think God is doing what we want him to do, here's what you need to remember. If you're not dead, God's not done. If you're not dead right now, God's not done with his plan. He's not done with his purpose for your life. But in that gap where we're expecting him to do something and he doesn't do it, we lose hope. And so some of you have lost hope. But here's what you need to understand. God is outside of, the, outside of time. He operates outside of the, the limits that we place on him in our prayers when we ask him to do something and he hasn't done it. Can I teach you guys for a second? Because God is outside of time, he sees your beginning right now and he sees your ending at the same time. He sees it all, the whole thing. You and I, we can't do that. Like we see our past, like in some of us, that's even a little foggy thanks to college and beer bongs and all that kind of stuff. We can't see, we see our past and we see our present, right? But we can't see beyond that. God can see beyond that. God sees the entire picture, the beginning and the end. We can't see what's gonna happen past this moment right now. Now you have an idea. You think you know what's gonna happen later on. Everybody has an idea of what they're gonna do. You think you're gonna go after this and, and run up the street to Cracker Barrel, get some biscuits and gravy. Mm, that's what I'm talking about. But because everybody's doing that today, right? It's a 90 minute wait and they're out of biscuits and gravy or whatever you want. You think you know what's gonna happen, but you don't know. Like you could walk out of these doors into the lobby and lock eyes with someone of the opposite sex that you've never seen before, fall in love, get married, have some babies. I'm preaching to somebody in here today and your life's changed forever. You don't know what's gonna happen, right? We're gonna have a bunch of people after service out in the lobby like this, looking around. But because God is outside of time, he sees your beginning and he sees your ending at the same time. And here's why that's important, because that means he knows what you need in this season 
and how it's gonna carry you to the next season. He knows that maybe this moment of hopelessness that you're having in your life right now where you would raise your fist in indignation towards God and say, God, why haven't you? Why haven't you? Why haven't you? Maybe it's the, the exact thing you need to take your eyes off of you and your own strength and all that you can do and place them on the God who is able to take all things the Bible tells us and work them for our good, amen? It might be the final thing that you need. Romans eight twenty eight says God is able to work all things all things, that means the good things in your life and the bad things in your life. It means the terrible things in your life, that he's able to take it all and work them for good, work them for good, that God, our God is able to do that. See, I don't know your church background necessarily. I don't know what your religious traditions are, but today you walked into Elevate Church where we don't preside over a funeral. Our God is not dead. He is alive, which means he's able to do immeasurably more than you and I can ask or imagine in our life. So because something in your life you feel like is dead and dying, and you're in Saturday wondering why God hasn't showed up, wondering why he hasn't come through, because it's Saturday, here's what you need to realize. Sunday's coming. It's coming. So hang on that our God wants to take all things and work them for good. The bad things, the challenges, the good things, work them for good. Our God is the God of the turnaround, and he wants to turn around some things in your life. So you should know this. God is, God is like a, he's working your life like a recipe. He's in the kitchen, and he's cooking up something good with your life, and it will not be vegan, it will not be paleo, it will not be gluten-free. You should know that, okay? That's nasty right there. It's gonna be deep fried and probably on a stick. Praise the Lord, all right? But he's working your life like a recipe and he's stirring in a little bit of, of hard times. He's stirring in a little bit of challenge, but he's also bringing in some blessing. He's also bringing in some favor. He's bringing in some, some fear. He's bringing in some doubt in your life and he's stirring it all for your good. Even the terrible things, even the things in your life where you'd say, God, where were you? That is over, it's died, and you didn't come. Does anybody remember the story of Lazarus in the room? Lazarus was Jesus' friend whom he loved. Mary and Martha reach out and say, Jesus, the person you loved is gonna die. He's gonna die, so Jesus waits two more days before even traveling, and he gets there, and Lazarus is already, you know, four days dead. And so Jesus gets there, the shortest verse in the Bible, you know, as Jesus wept, he wept over him, and he calls to the, the grave, he says, Lazarus, come and Lazarus rises from the dead. You remember that story? Let me ask you this question. What would have been the greater miracle? Had Jesus come right when they wanted him to and him to heal him from his illness or for Jesus to come when he did and raise him from the dead? I say that because some of you are stuck in Saturday wondering why Jesus hasn't showed up, wondering why hasn't he come? Why did he allow this thing to die when it could be that he's not looking to work an elementary miracle in your life? He's looking to work a great miracle miracle in your life. He's not looking to break your fever. He's looking to raise something in your life that's been dead. Man, come on. I'm preaching about 15 times better than you're responding right now. It's Easter. I'm fired up. Well, there you go. Listen, some of you, I just want to tell you, don't stop don't give up. Don't stop short of all that God has for you in your life. He's looking to work something great in your life, and he can work all things for your good. Now I will finish. This is an amazing story. You need to hear the end of it. 
Jesus is walking down this road with these two guys. And is it, is it hot in here? Is anybody else? And uh, he starts talking to them about what the scriptures said. They start telling him, you know, what happened and who Jesus was. And, and he's walking down the road. And he gives them this Bible lesson, actually. and tells them, hey, don't you guys remember? You know, the Bible said that the Messiah would come and that he would have to, to die and that he would be brought back to life. Don't you remember that? And they're listening to Jesus talk and they still don't know it's Jesus at this point. And they say, hey, we don't want you to leave. Like, would you at least stay with us a little bit longer and, and eat some, something, eat some food? And Jesus is like, all right, I can eat some food. I'm starving. It's been three days since I've eaten, right? And in verse 30 of Luke 24, he says this, and I want you to miss this. As they sat down to eat, he took that bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. Blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And at that moment, their eyes were opened. The moment he broke the bread, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And it says, then Jesus disappeared. And they continued to talk, and they say, hey, wasn't something going off inside of you? Like, wasn't your heart, like, beating out of control in your chest as he was sharing the scriptures with us? Was, was this something happening to you or was happening to me? I felt like it was going to just, just pound. I felt like I was out of breath. I don't understand what I was experiencing. It says their eyes opened the moment Jesus broke the bread. And here's why. Because they were taken back to a few nights before. Jesus in the upper room, something called the Last Supper, with the same guys standing there. And he broke the bread and said, this is my body, it's broken for and because of Jesus' brokenness, it brought their freedom. Sunday was a day of freedom. And I believe in that moment when their eyes were open, the pain of Friday, it vanished. The hopelessness of Saturday, it was shattered because the brokenness of Jesus brought their freedom. And I need to tell somebody today, the brokenness of Jesus bought your freedom then why would you stay stuck in Friday in emotional pain and physical pain why would you stay stuck there his brokenness brings your freedom why would you stay stay in the hopelessness of Saturday wondering it's all too good to be true where is God you know I've, I've given up my fight I, I don't want to fight anymore I'm just I'm done I'm done I've had had enough you don't have to stay in Saturday because his brokenness brings your freedom. He wants to lead you into Sunday. The Bible says whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. He's done that for so many. I think he wants to do that for so many in this room today as well. But first, I want to share a story with you from my friend Nicole, who he's brought her freedom as well. Take a look. Hi, my name is Nicole Guy. I was born in Erie, Pennsylvania. When I was a kid, my family moved to North Carolina, and in four years, I went to three different elementary schools. My childhood was awesome. My family gave us everything we needed and a lot of the stuff that we wanted. I grew up going to a Catholic church, so I knew of God, but I never had a relationship with God. 
At 16 years old, I tried alcohol for the first time. I wanted to fit in, I knew it would make me feel different, and that it would take me out of me. In September of 2003, my mom was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. This was hard on me being the oldest daughter. I now had a bigger responsibility in our family. My dad now had worked three jobs to keep up with the bills, and shortly after that, I started my first job and helped contribute to the bills as well. I found alcohol to help me. Through my mom's diagnosis and the pressure that was placed on me, I still graduated with all honors in high school. I decided to go to Gannon for their nursing program. At this point, alcoholism started progressing more and more, and then I turned 21. It's not that I always wanted to get drunk. It was more that there would be a night of the week I wanted to go out, and that there would be another drink special, and another night of the week that I wanted to go out. And these habits grew more and more. That August, I started my junior year of nursing school. Three months later, I found myself taking a medical withdrawal from school and losing my boyfriend of five and a half years. At this point, I started to lose things around me and realized that alcohol might become an issue. I ended up failing out of nursing school due to skipping class and drinking became more important. This point in my life, I was letting my disease start to control me. That fall, I decided to go to my first AA meeting. I wasn't completely doing it for me, but I knew that I needed to maybe start changing. I stayed sober for three months, but didn't change the people I was hanging out with and relapsed and was off to the races with drinking again, this time getting worse. I was downtown one evening after drinking, I decided to leave. I got in my car and had my first and last DUI. And by the grace of God, I'm still here as well as the person I hit. I went over three lanes of traffic, but my God was with me and my higher power had different plans for me. This is when I checked into detox at Mill Creek Community Hospital for the first time. After detox, I went to rehab for 30 days. Four months later, I relapsed in alcohol and was introduced to drugs. Drugs were a temporary replacement for my alcoholism and things got much worse. I checked into rehab for the second time, but I relapsed in one week's time of coming home. And a couple months later after that, I checked into detox for the third time and relapsed two weeks later. In August of 2011, I checked into detox for the fourth time. I stayed for 30 days, and after that, I stayed sober for 60 days. I relapsed again. It was December 21st in 2011 that was my lowest point in my life, and I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was so broken. I checked into rehab for the fourth time, and a month later moved into a halfway house in Uniontown, PA. I started to surrender my life over to God. I didn't know how to pray, but a prayer I made up while in the house was, God, let me hear and see what you want me to hear and see so that I can do what you want me to do. I slowly started wanting God's will for me. I started to realize that hope is real. I was getting involved in a church down in Uniontown and a 12-step program because I was done with my old life. My heart changed and softened and I moved back to Erie. I got involved in a recovery community and through a few events, I met my husband and we had a beautiful baby girl. My husband and I were attending Elevate for a few years and there was a message that Pastor Colby was preaching where he was telling people to go all in. 
We may have heard that before, but never acknowledged it or realized its true potential. So we made that decision to go all in. We started tithing 10%, started serving on the weekends. We joined a small group and attended church every weekend. We were hungry to be fed for the good news of Jesus Christ. Even though life wasn't perfect, we saw how God was working in our life. My relationship with God has flourished and grown into something unfathomable over the last year. I have never felt this close to Him. I have this wholeness inside me and burning fire to follow God's will for me, even if it's something I don't understand. Handing over everything has been a true reward. Looking at our life, it has 360, three times over, all because of our faith. I just want everyone to know there is hope. Can we celebrate what God has done in Nicole's life? And honestly, it's the same thing that he wants to do in your life. Why on earth would you stay stuck in Friday? Why would you stay stuck in, in your Saturday when God wants to bring you to freedom of Sunday? Jesus' last words on the cross are found in John chapter 19, verse 30. It says, when he took his final drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I want you to look at that phrase, gave up. It comes with this idea that, that in the original text that he gave it up for a period of time, just for a short time. In other words, he went to the Father and said, Father, here's my spirit. I'm gonna give this to you because I have some things I have to do. I'm gonna give it to you to hold on to for, for three days. And he gave his spirit to fa the Father and then he descended into the earth and he met Satan there and he says, Satan, I've given something to the Father. Now you're gonna give me something in return. What am I gonna give you? Here's what you're gonna give me. You're gonna give me the keys. The keys to death, the keys to hell, and the keys to the grave. You're gonna give me the keys so that death is not the last word in people's lives. You're gonna give me the keys to, to hell so that no one has to spend an eternity there. Which by the way, people say, why does God send people to hell? Why does he send people to hell? He doesn't. You choose to, to go that direction if you choose not to put your trust in Jesus. He doesn't send anyone there. And he says, you're gonna give me the keys to the grave so the grave cannot hold you. He said, you're gonna give me the keys to Nicole's life. You're gonna give me the keys to, to Colby's life. You can't have them, to Kristen's life, to Mark's life, to Sean's life, to Lisa's life. You're gonna give me those keys so that they can find freedom and hope in me. And it says three days later, what did he do? He kicked the, the door open, giving us freedom. And who the sun sets free, who the sun unlocks with those keys is free indeed. Do you know there's a big difference between being free and free indeed? Like uh, a few years ago, I had these two escape convicts from an upstate uh, New York prison. I don't know if you remember these guys. They, they did the whole Shawshank Redemption thing and got out underground and they busted loose and they, they were free. They were free in the sense that no one was telling them, you know, what to do, when to do it anymore. No one told them when to eat, where to eat, how to eat, what to eat, when to go, when not to go, when to sleep, when to wake up. You know, nobody told them anything anymore. They were free in that sense. But at the same time, they spent those days on the run looking over their shoulder, worried about the consequences of their past, catching up with them, worried about the authorities apprehending them. 
They were free, but they weren't free indeed. See, some of you would say, Colby, I'm free. It tells me what to do. But you're not free indeed because you're still living, looking over your shoulder, worried about your past catching up with you, worrying about the consequences of your sin, wondering if, if I'm gonna always have to live with this guilt. Am I always gonna have to live with this shame? You're not free indeed. But Jesus came and lived and died and was raised back to life so that you could find hope in your Saturday, so that you could be free in Sunday. He wants you to be free and to be free indeed. Maybe you're here today to be free indeed in Jesus. Here's what I want you to do. Bow your head, close your eyes, wherever you are in this room. I want you to be still. This is a holy moment for people right now who are gonna make a decision to put their trust in Jesus, to put their, their trust in his death, burial, and resurrection so they can be set free. So they're not looking over their shoulder at every turn. So they're not, you know, uh, hung up by the, the shame in their life from mistakes made. They're not, they're not continually living with guilt from past decisions, but they wanna be free indeed. They know that they are a sinner because the Bible says we all are sinners. We've all not lived up to the standard of God. No one could. Because we couldn't, God sent Jesus to purchase our freedom and to be free indeed. And the way we do that, the way we find freedom is by confessing our sins, putting our trust in Jesus, believing that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says we would be saved. If you'd say, Colby, I wanna do that today. This is why I'm here. I'm gonna pray that prayer. When you pray it, I'm praying right along with you. Would you right now be bold, throw up your hand. No one's looking around. Just be bold. Just say, God, here I am. I wanna be set free. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of hiding. I'm tired of my shame and guilt having a hold on my life. I am going to be free and free indeed. Praise God for all of you in this room. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus into your life and accept him as Lord and Savior, we would love to know about it. You can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes, and there will be some practical next steps for you to take along this journey. If you want to commit to fueling the mission and vision of this church to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.